We're starting a new series, and we've always got plenty to say when we start a new series, so uh, just buckle up, all right? Uh, if you need a drink or something, there's coffee out in the foyer. You can duck out real quick if you need to, okay? Um, as we're diving in this morning, though, we are going to start a new study this morning. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of First Peter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew there in front of you. It's the black books that are back there. Um, and in First Peter's in the very back of your Bible. It's not the last part, but it's pretty close. So you, if you're not familiar with it, you may need to use the table of contents to find it because it's a short book that's easy to miss. It only takes a couple of pages. And by the way, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 1075. So that way you can just turn right to it and look like you know exactly what you're doing. Okay? Now, as we're diving into 1 Peter, there might be the question about why are we doing this now? Um, some of you guys don't care. I know, whatever. But I think about these things. Um, why would we cover 1 Peter coming out of what we have seen in the Gospel of John? Well, for one, we actually looked at, at 1 Peter back in 2015 as a church. But how many of you were not here in 2015? Time for us to do it again, okay? Uh, looking around the room, that's the majority of folks were not here when we did it back in 2015. But there's a couple of reasons why we want to look at 1 Peter now. now. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter. If you remember, as we were going through our study in John, we actually ended up the book, that last chapter, talking about how Jesus restored Peter. He had gotten off track. He had denied Christ. Jesus restored him and kind of told him that he would have this long career, and then eventually he would be put to death for his, uh, the way he stood for Christ. So we're following up kind of on Peter's story. We're fast-forwarding about 30 years from where we left him in John, and we're going to hear from, from him as we go through First Peter some of the things that God had taught him and some of the things that God had been using. Now, there's another main reason, though, why we're using First Peter right now. As we go through this book, we're going to see that First Peter is a book that is all about suffering for Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about suffering for Jesus by, oh, I don't know, having to go to Orlando for the summer and uh, serve him there. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Paul and Rissa Metzler, who are some of the missionaries we support through Crew Valley, are, are just suffering for Jesus by going to Orlando this summer to be sharing the gospel. So we just feel real bad for them having to go spend the summer, you know, down there in Florida. You know, that's fine, whatever, okay? But be praying for them as they go. They're leaving this afternoon to start. They'll be gone for most of the summer, uh, and a lot of that time they will have the opportunity to be sharing the gospel there with folks in Orlando. So be praying for God to use that as they're uh, discipling some college students who will be going out sharing the gospel and then sharing the gospel themselves. So be praying for them and all that's going on there. But when we talk about suffering for Jesus, we're not going to be talking about just the general suffering that everybody deals with. Uh, let's be honest. I I've told somebody recently, I'm trying to make a resolution not to say I'm busy or I'm tired because you're not unique, okay? Everybody's busy, everybody's tired, okay? So th there's just no even saying it. Uh, so I'm not talking about the suffering that is just a part of living in a fallen world where our bodies break, where our stuff breaks, where inflation is a thing. When we talk about suffering for Jesus, we're talking about the unique persecutions that come on a person because they stand for what Jesus stands for and they identify with him. What we're going to see is that as Peter writes this letter, he's going to give us this main idea. And I, Alex, I don't remember if this is on the slides or not, but if not, um, the main idea that we're going to see about the book is that we are called to suffer well for Christ who suffered for us. Now, I, I want to be real clear as we start this off. Our title of our series is going to be Living in Exile. 
because the reality is we are living as exiles. Although we're Americans, although we're here in America, what we're going to see is because of what Christ has done, he has pulled us into his kingdom, and we are exiled from that, so we're just kind of temporary residents here until Jesus sets up his kingdom fully. And we'll explain all of those concepts more as we go throughout the book. But as we're looking at living as exiles, here's what I want us to be real careful with. It would be very easy for us to look at the opposition around us in the world right now. I mean, Mike mentioned the worldview differences between us and those who follow Christ and those who do not. We see it clearly in issues like the the furor surrounding the Roe v. Wade decision and the the fact that it looks like it may be overturned in the court. Uh, You see all of those things taking place, and you see all this animosity. It's easy for us to get focused on that, and that's absolutely something that we should be praying for God to allow us to stand firm in, whatever the situation may be on the national, international levels. We do need to pay attention to what's going on there. Uh, I would always encourage you, vote in November for what you believe God's called you to do, to vote in such a way that you represent the values that God's given us in his word, okay? So part of our stand for Christ, part of suffering well with him, could one day eventually be systematic government persecution because we refuse to bow to what the culture wants. That could happen. But what's interesting as we go to 1 Peter is the people that 1 Peter is writing to are not yet enduring that kind of systemic persecution. It's not a systematic, official, legal thing. Rather, they're dealing with the daily persecutions that come from following Jesus in a world that doesn't. For instance, they're losing family. They're losing friends. They're losing business. They're losing job opportunities. Those are the kinds of things that I want us to focus more on in our time together. Yes, we need to be aware of what's going on on the national level or or even on the local level. We need to be voting. We need to be praying. We need to be contacting as we have an opportunity to be involved in our government in America in a way that a lot of people around the world don't. We need to be using that. But what I'm more wanting us to focus on is how do I follow Jesus when my boss calls me to do something unethical? How do I follow Jesus when when my best friend of 20 years breaks off the friendship because I refuse to go to his daughter's wedding because she's marrying another man? How do we handle that? How do we follow Christ as we watch the culture shift away from a biblical worldview, as we hold things like the sanctity of human life from conception through natural death, as we hold to the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime? as we hold to the inerrancy of God's word and the ethics that he gives us here of what's right and what's wrong, as we call both sides of the political aisle to account for the way that they're leading and the way that they're governing. How do we follow Jesus on the daily, around the water cooler when we won't laugh at that joke with the rest of the guys, or we won't go to the bar after work with everybody else? How do we follow Jesus when it gets What's going to be critical for us if we're going to follow Jesus when the rubber meets the road? Like, I I encourage you, like I said, vote your values 100%. Absolutely, take your values with you into the voting booth. But can I be real honest that it's pretty easy for me to check a box, you know, flip the lever, whatever it is that you do to vote wherever, what precinct you're at. That's pretty easy. It's a lot harder for me to look my best friend in the eye and say, I love you, and I love your daughter, but I can't support this government. It's a lot harder for me to look my boss in the eye and say, I know this is what you want me to do, 
but because I'm a follower of Christ, I can compromise. It's a lot harder to sit there and know that everybody else is talking about you. Oh, look, it's that preacher man, isn't it? He ain't going to go drinking with us because he's so holier than thou. When your family looks at you and ridicules you because you use your money differently. Why do you waste all that money giving to this church? Why do you spend all your nights down there? Why are you doing all that? Why would you take your vacation and go halfway around the world and spend the night in a camp, you know, camping out in a tent so you can talk to people about Jesus? Y'all aren't even building a hospital or anything. What are you doing? How do you follow Jesus when it gets hard? The way you do that is by recognizing that we are exiles. We're living as strangers and sojourners in this world, and it's not our home. So as we dive into that this morning, we're going to see over these next several months what it looks like for us to suffer well for Christ. Here's what it doesn't look like. Let me just go ahead and throw this out to you. It doesn't look like posting all over Facebook whatever the latest gotcha video is. It doesn't look like circling the wagons and not being friends with anybody who believes differently than you. It involves honoring Jesus through holy living, getting involved in doing good things in the world around us, so much so that they may hate what we teach, but they can't argue with what we do. And when they say, why on earth would you be kind to me if I've treated you like this? You can say, I am giving you a reason for the defense for the hope that I have in me. First Peter 3 is because Jesus loved me enough to die in my place and he's my king and I will serve him. That's what it's going to look like to serve well. The things that First Peter is going to call us to do are incredibly difficult. I, I want to be real honest with you up front. Some of the statements in here are completely countercultural. They're completely difficult, and you're not going to want to do them. Okay? Let's just be real honest. Especially if you're like me. See, if you know me well and you hear me say bolds like this from the pulpit, what you may not realize is I struggle with being a people pleaser to the core. I hate to have people mad at me. Absolutely hate it. I will bend over backwards. I will get myself into all kinds of knots trying to make it better. You can ask my wife. It drives her crazy. So I don't like doing these things. I don't like being confrontational. I don't like having to make people mad at me. I don't like doing those things. But here's what, it, what happens. When God calls us to do that, we're all king to whom we truly belong. Now, we've talked for several minutes without actually getting into God's word, so let's look at the first two verses this morning. As we do, what we're going to see is a portrait of what it looks like for you and me to be in exile. And what we do in these first two verses over the next couple of weeks is we're putting some really deep anchors in. Peter's getting ready to call us to do really difficult things, but before he mentions any of those, He's saying, look, this is what you go back to. When it gets hard, when it gets frustrating, when it gets confusing, when you feel like you're standing all alone, go back to these truths. These are the anchors so that you know you've got hope, you know what God's done, you know what God's doing, and then through his power and his strength, you can obey even in the challenging things he's going to call us to. All right, dive in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We could spend hours just on those statements. We've talked a lot in the Gospel of John. We've talked about the Trinity and the nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the unity that exists within the Godhead. Here's what I want you to see. Before you think about any of the difficult things that standing for Christ is going to cause, here's what we look back on. All of the Trinity, all that God is, has been involved in choosing and setting you apart for this. For this, for this time, for this moment, for this place, God has set you aside for this. Let's try to explain that a little bit more, okay? We're going to see this in three different ways as we go through this. Um, Well, okay, going back to the idea that we are exiles, right? This is how God's people have always been. Hebrews chapter 11 makes that clear. Uh, As they go through this of all of these people who followed God in the Old Testament, it says, These all died in faith. They had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a homeland. See, whether we recognize it or not, we are not from around here. I am Christiansburg, born and raised. Parents still live in the same house I was born into. But this is not my I've had the privilege of going to countries where they don't have the same freedoms that we enjoy. I am grateful to God that he has allowed me to live in America and that I have a citizenship here. However, my primary identity, your identity as a believer, is not as an American. It's as a Christian, as a member of the kingdom of God, called and set aside. Now, that also means we are exiled. We are on the outside. As we go through the remainder of this book, we're looking at the fact that life as an exile is going to call us to look at life from the outside. Here's a good way to think about it. Um, How many of you guys remember or have any international friends, friends who immigrated to the U.S. from another country? You guys have any international friends? If you've ever had any international friends, you, you ever had the privilege of going to their house to have a meal? You know, they love to have you over and to cook the food that reminds them of home and to tell you about their culture and tell you about their mom and dad and what life was like for them growing up because their experience was so dramatically different than what it is here. Living life as exiles is doing that. What we're called to do is to give people a taste of home. We're we're called to invite people into our lives who don't know Jesus, who aren't a part of the kingdom of God, and say, hey guys, this is what my home is really like. This is the hope that I have. This is the peace that I have. This is the joy. And Yes, these are the standards about what's okay from where I come from. But at the same time, guys, I want you to be a part of it. I wish you could go back with me. We're to give people a taste of home. Now, Like I said, as we go back to all of this, as we see more of what specifically that taste of home is going to look like, anchor your heart in this reality. God has set you apart for this at this time. We see that clearly in the first part. We're going to break this down into three phrases you see here. First thing you see is that, number one, the Father chose you ahead of time. Go back. 
chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, the translators who have translated the version we're using inserted the word chosen here twice. They put it chosen at the beginning of verse 1, right before the list of all the places. They put it again at the end after all the place names. It's only in the text once, but they did that to kind of help you track and go through with it. Because that idea of chosen follows through with this idea according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, some of you are theology nerds. And you're sitting here saying, oh, great, I was waiting for this one. We're not going to go there today. There is a deep theological debate on what the foreknowledge of God means and involves. Okay? Did God choose us because of something he foresaw in us? Did God choose us simply off of his own sovereign uh, decree? How did this work? There's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion. I'd love to have that with you over coffee. I can tell you, you're not going to be happy with my answer because I come down kind of in the middle. All right? Um, So that's just kind of where I'm at. We're not going to dive into it today because we don't have time. Here's what I want you to focus on. However you parse out what foreknowledge looks like, God chose Before you were ever born, God chose you. You. Like, you. Now, there's a general sense in which God determines where everybody lives and what time they live. We find that in Acts chapter 17, where Paul's talking to the philosophers there in Athens. He said this, from one man, that's talking about Adam, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Now, leaving that verse up for just a second. That means that God knew and appointed when you would be alive and where you would live. Think about this. There is no reason you should not have been born in abject poverty in an undeveloped part of the world other than God chose to let you be born in America when you were and enjoy the privileges you have now. Now, nostalgia is quite the drug. So you may sit there and say, man, I wish that I'd been born 30 years ago. I wish that I'd been born in a time where I could get a job and actually buy a house before I'm 90, right? I wish that I had lived before all of this stuff happened. I wish I'd been here you know, right after the war when everybody wore their pearls when they were making dinner and it was like leave it to beaver, you know. I mean, it, it's never really been that way. But here's the reality. God chose you, first off, to live during this time period. In a general sense, he's done that for all of humanity, all of us. But in a unique way, God chose those who would draw to himself in salvation. Now, again, a lot of discussion about how that happens. But the irrefutable truth of this verse is you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God chose you to be a part of his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? Now, You may sit there and say, yeah, really wish it hadn't been now. (laughs) I really wish it had been at an easier time when it was a whole lot better. Well, you know, for those of you guys who who haven't lived real long, keep in mind, you know, cell phones weren't a thing like 10 years ago, hardly. You know, it's a, you're doing better than you think you are. But I think back to J.R.R. Tolkien's work in The Lord of the Rings. In The Fellowship of the Ring, for those of you who aren't nerds like me, in The Fellowship of the Ring, there's this guy named Frodo. Frodo gets really bad news from this guy named Gandalf. 
he finds out that things are way worse than he could have ever imagined, and he's facing a really difficult situation. So here's how the conversation goes. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Here, this is on the screen, I think, all right? Should be at least. Frodo says, I wish, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. So here we go again. I wish it hadn't happened in my time. So do I. So do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. So, Sean, I wish God hadn't chosen me now. Yeah, but he did. He did. So your choice is, am I going to live life as an exile, honoring God, or am I going to try to blend in? By the way, remember, there's a difference between an exile and a refugee. A refugee flees a country for their own safety. They're trying to get to a better place where they need to be safe because where they're from is not safe for them anymore. But they could go back at any point in time, theoretically. An exile is someone who's forced out of their homeland and can't go back. He doesn't describe us as refugees. He describes us as exiles. Because our home is heaven. Our home is the kingdom of God. Actually, our our full home, we'll see in the new heaven and the new earth, is back here on earth with Jesus ruling and reigning over all creation and the stain of sin being removed. We're not there yet, and we can't go back. We're exiles. We've been kicked out of the garden because of us. It's our fault. We can't go back. So until we do, we have a choice. Are we going to honor the God who chose you ahead of time? He chose you right now to be alive at exactly 11.58 on Sunday, March or May the 22nd, 2022. God appointed you to be alive and in his kingdom to serve him ahead of time. Second thing, not only did the Father choose us, then we see, number two, that the Spirit set us apart. Go back to verse 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, the sanctifying is one of those words, it's definitely a Bible term, you never use it outside of church, but it's one that's really important for us to understand. Here's what I want you to always remember about the word sanctify. Sanctify means set apart, okay? Set apart. How many of you have fine china? Anybody still have their their wedding china? Yeah, okay. All right, some of you guys still do. Um, at least, how many of you have plates that your mom will only let you use at Christmas? Let's go with that one. Okay, yeah, there's maybe more folks that way. All right, there's those special plates. Those special plates are set aside from daily use and set aside for special occasions, right? You don't just use that for your regular morning breakfast. And if you do, your mom's going to yell at you, and she should, okay? When we think about being set apart by the Spirit of God, That means that God set us apart from something and set us apart to something. Colossians 1, we've been met on Wednesday night in our prayer meeting. Colossians 1 talks about the fact that we've been taken from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. What Peter is saying here is that the Spirit was the one who did that for you. He pulled you out of the domain of darkness. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're saved, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've pulled out of the domain of darkness and you've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son for a purpose. See, the Spirit of God has set you apart. 
He's taken you out of your old way of life. He's set you apart to that new way of life. Now, often we'll use the word sanctification. We're talking about the process of growing to live that out more and more. But here is, has in, in view that moment where I knew that I needed Jesus and I surrendered to him and he drew me into his kingdom. That, that's that moment of, of being sanctified, the, the positional sanctification, if you want to get really theological, as opposed to the progressive, which is the daily growth in that. So the Spirit has set you apart to be a part of God's kingdom. How many of you were not athletic in school? Okay, I'm raising my, I'll raise both my hands, okay? I ran track a little bit, um, but I ran track because I can't disappoint anybody but myself if I run track. You think I'm kidding. I did not play any kind of team sport because I, no, nah, we ain't doing that. If we had to pick teams in, in school, I was guaranteed last. Like, I did not get picked. Here's what, what this verse says. God picked you before you were born. He took you from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because he loves you that much. Okay, like, I've prayed a lot this week because I've had a hard time. This should blow my mind. This is the most unimaginable thing in human history. That God would take me. Like, if, if y'all know me, I'm a, I'm a weird dude. I really am. And yet, God in his foreknowledge chose me in himself. And he drew me to himself. So then, if he calls me to live as an exile in this world, guys, think of God chose you. God set you apart. Don't you think we ought to honor him? Oh, but there's more. But wait, there's more. Right? Drawn to appeal for us. Third thing we see, the son sealed the covenant. The son sealed our covenant. Verse End of verse 2 there, it says that we were known according to the foreknowledge of God, God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient, so that's going to be our response as we go through the rest of the letter, and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with Bible language, your first thought is, well, that sounds gross. Here's the beautiful picture. This comes out of a picture out of Exodus chapter 24. Uh, it's in verses 3 through 8. We're going to get to that, the actual verse in just a second. We don't have time to dig deeply into the passage, but here's what happened. God gave his law to Moses in Exodus chapters 20 through 23. And in chapter 24, Moses came down and told all the people that God, what God had said and what the law would be for Israel, what their responsibilities were. After hearing what all Moses had said, what God had commanded his people, they promised to obey everything that God said to them. They had a sacrifice there. The, the next day, they set up an altar and they made these sacrifices. Moses took part of the blood from those sacrifices and sprinkled it on the altar. And then Moses turned and took the rest of the blood and sprinkled it on the people as a symbol of the covenant they had made. Moses took the blood, this is the verse on the screen. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So when they committed, God, you've given us your law, they made a covenant with God, a promise, but actually stronger than a promise. They said, we will obey this. That blood from that sacrifice was splattered on the altar, 
to show that there was forgiveness. And then it was splattered on the people as a symbol of the fact that they were involved in this covenant. So go back again to 1 Peter. To be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. See, throughout the Old Testament, there's bulls and goats and sheep that are sacrificed. All of those things were pointing to the fact that one day, Jesus, the Son of God, would shed his blood for us. He would die on the cross, and that as his blood was filled, it would do two things. It would, number one, forgive us of our sins, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sins, the book of Hebrews tells us that. His blood was shed to cover our sins and sprinkled on us as a sign of the covenant that God's made with his people. Peter's going to talk about that blood a little bit later in the chapter as he talks about the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He's going to ask us to do some incredibly difficult things as we go through 1 Peter. As he does, and you say, I I can't do that. I can't treat my wife that way. I I can't treat my husband that way. I I can't work that way. I I can't tell people about Jesus. I can't defend. I mean, have you seen how mad people are about this? I can't do that. In the power of God, you absolutely can. Not in your own strength. You're right. You can't. God knew that. He knew that before you were ever born. And he chose you. Took you from death to life. The Spirit set you apart for this. Right now, where you are, the role you have, the people you know, the job you've got, God set you apart for all of that right now and sealed the covenant by sending His own Son to shed His blood for you. That's how you became an exile. By entering into His kingdom. Now, you live differently. You talk differently. Your allegiance is in a different place, or it better be, because of the God who chose you, set you apart, and sprinkled his blood on you to save you. So as we look in the days to come about what we're going to see about living life as an exile, go back to the story. You're chosen. You're set apart. You're sprinkled in the blood. Bow your heads with me and pray with me. There's so much more in in these verses and so much more in the verses to come, but this is where we're going to have to leave it for today. As we go through, let me ask you, all of these things we've talked about only apply to those who are in God's kingdom. Those who've been saved, those who are walking with Him. So my question for you is, have you reached that place where you're willing to turn from what you know to be sin to turn to following Jesus, to come into his kingdom. If you say, you know, I've never really done that, you can do that today. You can talk to him and say, God, I know that I've, I've sinned. I know I've done the wrong thing, and I know I'm not right with you, but you, I've heard this guy say that, that Jesus died for me so that I could be right and, and to forgive me of my sin. And, and so I don't know for sure what it's going to mean, but I, I want to follow you. The Bible terminology for that is to make Jesus our Lord. That means we put him in charge. We put him in control. 
and say, God, I, I'm not calling the shots in my life. I'm, I'm letting you call it. What you say I'm supposed to do, I'll do. What you say I'm supposed to avoid, I'll avoid. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I want to follow you. That can be yours today, and all you got to do is ask him. I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like, by the way. So I'll be down front. If you need to talk with me more about coming into that relationship with Jesus and entering into his kingdom. Could be, though, you've gotten off track and, and you've started compromising in some areas where you're not living like an exile. You're trying to blend into the culture. Think about it. Your father chose you to be a part of his family. The Spirit of God set you apart, and the Son spilled His blood to make you clean. Would you ask Him to give you the strength to live that out for His name and His glory? I'm going to let you continue there with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. And do business with God, whatever it looks like, whatever it takes. If you need to talk with me, I'm going to be down front. And then just in a minute, I'll close this with prayer. So you can feel free to come if you need to come talk to me. Father, we thank You so much for all that you're doing. We thank you that you chose us. None of us deserved it, but you did. We thank you that you set us apart from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. We thank you that you did that through his blood that was shed for us, through the forgiveness and the covenant that we come into through his blood. So, God, we want to give you honor and glory. Forgive us for how comfortable we've gotten here. Forgive us for the times when we focus inward. We get so caught up in just regular church stuff that we forget that you saved us so that we would impact the world around us. Would you work through this series, through our, even our church assessment, through all the things that you're doing in our church in these days, in your church in these days? Turn our eyes outward. Give us wisdom about how to reach out to the literal neighbors right next door to us. The, the guys that are sharing the cubicle next to us or in the dorm room next to us or in the class next to us. God, would you give us wisdom about how to share the gospel everywhere we go? Would you help us to be a people who are known as giving a, a taste of home to those around us who don't know you? Would you change the world for your name and your glory, drawing more people into your kingdom, people you've chosen? God, would you draw them to yourself and allow us the privilege of being a part of that? We'll give you praise and we'll give you honor and we'll give you glory. Help us to go out this week again acknowledging that we are living as exiles resting in the beautiful truth that that is. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.